Good morning, everybody. Happy Labor Day weekend. Everybody excited? Labor Day, just, uh, just want to warn you, uh, by the time you guys walk out this morning, it's going to be boiling. It's, it's getting so hot out there right now. We were just out there greeting, and the sun's getting higher, and it's getting hot. But happy Labor Day. Hope you guys have uh, fantastic plans today and tomorrow. Also, just want to give a shout-out to Rick and Sherry Keller. Happy 30th anniversary to Rick and Sherry. Right? You've got to honor the patriarchs among you. If you don't honor them, you might not duplicate them. Talking to Detective Williams in the back about policing, and uh, he's been detective uh, for over 30 years in Akron, talking about the different identities and cultures in the different parts of town, and how there are some parts of town where there are the patriarchs who, um, who bless and who lead the next generation. And those communities look and feel different than the communities around, around Akron who the patriarchs do not bless and inform the next generation. And, it's, and it's, it's a total stark contrast, right? So Rick and Sherry, happy 30. Um, you guys are awesome, and we honor you, and we want to emulate you. So um, you, you uh, propagate that which you celebrate, and so we celebrate you guys, right? Hey, uh, this morning we're back in the book of Hebrews. You can turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Um, and actually, before we go to Hebrews chapter 11, what I want to do is I want to read a very short parable from Mark chapter 4 that, uh, that Jesus tells, a parable of the kingdom. Here's what the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. And then here's what I want us to do. In the parable that we're going to read, I want us to identify a pattern for how the kingdom of God functions... And then I want us to take that pattern and look at it in a series of verses that we're going to look at in Hebrews. Can we do that? Okay, so I'm going to read this. Mark chapter 4. This is the parable of the mustard seed. Identify the pattern, then we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11 and look for it. Okay, uh, Hebrew, sorry, Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 30. And Jesus said, Jesus is teaching the crowds. He says this. With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? Jesus says, The kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown in the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests. In its shade. The kingdom of God is like. Now, there's four things from this parable that I want us to see that we have to see before we go to Hebrews. Otherwise, Hebrews isn't going to pop for us, I think, in the way that it needs to pop. Here's the first thing that Jesus says regarding the kingdom of God. Let's go out into a garden setting because that's where Jesus takes us with this parable. And he says, You're out in the garden. Here's what you're going to see first, right? In this particular spot in the garden, when you go out there, you're going to see nothing. It's just going to be an empty, vacuous space. There is nothing there. And then, like, a little bit of time passes, and then what do you see? Well, then you see a little teeny tiny seed, the tiniest of all seeds, Jesus said. Then that little seed, which is barely noticeable, then that little seed gets dropped into the ground. And then after that seed gets dropped into the ground, then a little more time passes, that seed germinates, and it starts to grow very slowly and small at first. If you were not looking for it, you would miss it. But that little seed that sprouts gets bigger and bigger and expands and expands. It gets bigger and bigger and expands. It gets bigger and it expands until finally it is the largest of all plants in the garden, and it is so big, it is so tall and so wide 
that it's perfect for all the birds that are in the vicinity to come and just nest and hang out and frolic and enjoy its branches. That's what the kingdom of God is like. You look and you see nothing. Then you see something real teeny tiny. It's like a little seed. And then you see this little thing grow slowly but surely into something big. And then all of a sudden we got birds perching in it. That's what the kingdom of God is like. And that is a pattern that I want us to see and understand this morning. Now, before we go to Hebrews, I want us to understand what Jesus is saying in context um, where, he at, where he is in the first century A.D. Okay? Regarding the kingdom, here's how his original hearers would have heard that. They would have heard Jesus talking about this kingdom of God, and they would have rightly said something like this. Jesus, where is this kingdom that you are speaking of? There's nothing here. And they wouldn't necessarily be wrong. Why not? Well, think about the context where Jesus is speaking, right? You're out in the garden. Jesus says, hey, here's a kingdom. And all the people say, no, there isn't. Why? Well, because the Romans are the occupying force in Israel. And they're a brutal taskmaster. They're hard to live under, but they're the dominating force. And you've got to live your life under their oppressive rule. And it doesn't seem like God is the king in Israel, right? And it doesn't seem like all the good things that would come with God's kingship are actually happening. Because it seems like Caesar is more in control than God is, right? Where's the kingdom? We don't see it. I'm a child of the 80s, and there was a commercial back in the 80s. Anybody remember this, the Where's the Beef commercials? Remember that? It was a fast food commercial. It was brilliantly done, but there's this group of ladies that are in cars, and they go through a fast food restaurant line, and they get their hamburgers from the fast food joint, and they pull the bun off, and they're mocking the fast food places by saying, like, this is a hamburger? Where's the beef? Right? And there's like three really cute older women saying, where's the beef? Where's the beef? Where's the beef? Right? They're having this conversation, criticizing, this isn't a hamburger. There's nothing here. Where's the beef? Right? Everybody who is listening to Jesus talk about the kingdom, they're saying, where's the kingdom, Jesus? Where? We don't see anything, right? Why? Because there's nothing in their right, right? If ever there was a time to say, um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? It would be about the time where Jesus is saying, let me tell you about the kingdom, because everybody sees there's nothing there. Okay, nothing in the context of Jesus as he says this. Then here's the second thing, nothing, then there's a seed. Okay, who or what is the seed? Well, Jesus himself is the seed that will be put into the ground, right? He goes to the cross, he dies, he's placed in a tomb. Jesus is the seed that goes into the ground. And then what happens with good seeds that go into the ground? They sprout. Resurrection, happy Easter, three days later, right? Jesus bursts forth out of the tomb like a seed that is sprouting into new life. And Jesus is the seed that sprouts. So we've got nothing, then we've got a seed that goes into the ground, dies, then rises. And in all of that, Jesus is dying for our sin. He's removing the gap or the distance between us and God that our sin created. He's forgiving us and he's adopting us. And all of that is in him dying, going into the ground, and then right resurrecting again. All of that is inherent in this. There's nothing, then there's the seed of Jesus. 
then this little tree starts to grow. What's that? Well, that's the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, right? The Spirit of God comes, and this thing just starts growing at a clip. It's like watching a plant grow in late June, when like you can actually sometimes hear it growing because it's growing so fast. And this tree is growing bigger. It's expanding. It's spreading. It's growing. It's expanding. It's spreading. It's growing. And it's becoming something where now you say, where's the kingdom? People say, oh, I... I I think I see it. It's becoming visible. It's getting quite big, right? So there's nothing. There's a seed. There's a tree. And then finally, the fourth piece of the pattern is there's birds, right? And the birds are resting and nesting in the tree. Now, I've been teaching the Bible for decades. I've been consulting commentaries on passages of the Bible for decades, meaning scholars who know and understand the New Testament, who understand the history, the language, the context, all those things. It's good to glean from these people that God has so gifted. Let me tell you this. In every commentary that I've read on the parable of the mustard seed that turns into the tree where the birds perch, every commentary I've ever read says that the birds represent Gentiles. And every time I read a commentary, I'm like, okay, I don't know how they know that. That's interesting, but maybe, I I don't know. Maybe that's true, maybe not. Well, this week, actually last Sunday, the Lord deposited this parable into my mind, and I realized, like, I gotta, I gotta go actually research this for myself. And so here's what I did. I'm asking the question, why do most Bible commentators say that the birds are Gentiles, meaning everyone who's not a Jewish person? And in this context right here, meaning the, the birds would be Everybody that the Jewish people do not think would ever become a part of the kingdom of God. Like, think of the person in your brain that you think they would never come to Jesus. They would never follow Jesus. They'd never be, like, they these don't fit into the family of God. That's the birds, right? If, if it indeed it is Gentiles, that's those kinds of people, right? So I started to research this. Here's what I found. Commentators will say, here, here's where they believe that the birds are Gentiles. They go back to Ezekiel chapter 17. In Ezekiel chapter 17, God downloads on Ezekiel like this thing that he's doing among Israel in that day. And God gives a glimpse of things to come where God says, I'm going I'm to plant a tree from very small, humble beginnings. And this tree is going to grow. It's going to expand and grow, expand and grow. And then Ezekiel 17, like God says that as soon as this tree is like of sufficient size, birds of all kinds will nest in its branches. Birds of all kinds, meaning not just you Jewish people who think you're the exclusive people of God. You're not. God has always been trying to reach everybody, right? God is saying to them, my kingdom is going to expand and birds of all kinds are going to perch and enjoy and frolic in the branches therein, right? So Ezekiel chapter 17, God plants a tree from humble beginnings. It grows big and then all kinds of birds dwell in it. So I'm a believer now, right, regarding all the commentaries I've read that the birds equal the Gentiles. When the kingdom grows to sufficient size, people stand back and say, wow, they don't say, where's the beef? Where's the kingdom? Even those that are very far from God say, this is undeniable. I want in. Okay? Now, that's the pattern of the kingdom. There's nothing, there's a seed, there's a tree, and then there's the people that you think will never be reached by God. They're actually, they're in the kingdom. Okay, now, move over to the book of Hebrews, and let's look for this pattern, right? Because patterns of the kingdom, you find them repeated in other places, if indeed it really is a pattern. 
So Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 23, I want us to read, and then I think it will make sense as we move on. Okay, the great chapter of faith, here we go, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, okay, stop there, okay, Um, we're, I don't know, 16 to 1800 years before Jesus came, we're in a different context here, here's the context that we are in when baby Moses is born. You want to know where the kingdom of God is at this time? You ask all the Jewish people, you know what they would say? We got nothing. Where's the beef? Right? The kingdom of God here? No, there is, there is nothing here. And I think that they, from their perspective, right, I understand why they would say that. Right? Because it's not like the, the Romans are not the oppressive power at this point, but it's, but it's the Egyptians. And the Hebrews had been in Egypt for over 400 years. They had been slaves under a more brutal dictator than Caesar is in Jesus' day. Pharaoh is five to six times worse than that, right? So the Hebrews are absolutely controlled. Their life is dictated by Pharaoh. Pharaoh's an oppressive ruler. He's afraid. He's afraid of them because they're growing. And then Pharaoh hatches this plan to kill all the babies who were born in Egypt, who are Hebrew baby boys, right? So it goes from bad to worse to worse to about as bad as it can get. Where's the kingdom? I don't see anything here, right? And so baby Moses is born, but who cares? He's just going to be another one of the Hebrew babies that dies. Why? Because the kingdom of God is nothing right now. There is no thing regarding the kingdom of God in Egypt right now. Okay? We see the pattern starting. There is nothing there in the kingdom of God, regarding the kingdom of God in Egypt at this time. Right? Another fitting time for the Jewish people to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken us? Because there's no kingdom visible among them right now. Okay? Now at this point where there's nothing going on, it's bleak and it's empty and most Hebrews are in absolute despair Let's continue in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was special and they were not afraid of the king's edict. What is this? What is this that we see in the second half of verse 23? There was nothing going on regarding the kingdom. And now it looks like we've got a little bit of something. One family that says, Pharaoh says this, we should kill all of our baby boys. That's what everybody else is doing, right? But they say, I don't care what Pharaoh says because he's not my true king. I actually care what God says. And God seems to download on Moses' parents you got a different trajectory here with this baby, right? And what parent doesn't see their own child as special? Anybody? Right? We all see our, our unique babies as uniquely special, right? So Moses' parents say, I'm not going to go with Pharaoh. I am going to go with God. We're not going to kill him. We're going to keep him. We're going to hide him. We're going to keep him alive because that's what feels right right now. And there isn't much there. It's very small. It's about as tiny as a mustard seed, but it's a little seed of faith that Moses' parents are willing to walk in. So the Moses is born, 
right? At the point at, the, at which in Exodus the story goes, if you don't know it, there's a point where Moses just gets too cranky and too loud to be hidden anymore. And so his parents put him in a, a, a wicker basket that they just pitch and tar to make it floatable. They get to the end of themselves like they don't know what else to do, right? Faith has gotten them to this place, but they don't have a plan beyond this. They put him in the Nile River, and then his sister watches him float down the Nile. And then randomly... Not randomly, right? Moses then, somehow, the Nile River takes him down in front of Pharaoh's household. And then Pharaoh's family finds him. They have compassion on him, and they want to take him in into their own family to be raised and to continue living. Something small has been planted, and it seems like it is beginning to grow. Faith is how the kingdom of God grows. Small seeds of faith, barely recognizable in, in a context of nothingness. Small seeds of faith. Most people just miss it. They miss it. They miss it. But that's how the kingdom grows. And what I want us to see next is that faith is a contagious thing. Moses' parents have a seed, tiny mustard seed size faith. But it's contagious. And that contagion takes effect in their baby boy, Moses. Verse 24. Next generation, baton of faith, handoff. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh says this. God says this. Moses says, I'm going with God. Where did he learn that? Maybe mom and dad. Maybe. Right? Verse 25, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses considered the reproach of King Jesus of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward by faith. He left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, just like his parents. Pharaoh, I don't care. I'm going with God. Right? He leaves Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Okay, the cool thing about Moses in God's story is that while Pharaoh's family um, found, found Moses in the river, they didn't actually start raising him immediately. They... Um, Moses' sister was right there. This is all in the Exodus story. And in Moses' sister, when Pharaoh's daughter finds him, Moses' sister says, oh, what's that, Who, what's that that you found? A young Hebrew boy? Do you need a, a wet nurse? Do you need a, a, a Hebrew nurse to be made to that child to give him milk, right? Do you, do you want me to find somebody who could do that for this baby? And Pharaoh's daughter says, yes, let's do that. And so Moses' sister makes the connection between Pharaoh's daughter and her mom, Moses' mom, and then Moses is actually raised in his original household under the protection of Egypt until he is weaned, until he is a young boy ready to go into Pharaoh's household, right? This is just amazing. And then like little baby Moses, his parents know they've got just a little bit of time with him, but they're downloading some stuff on him while they got him. They're reading him like the Jesus storybook Bible. I'm kidding. That hadn't happened yet, but they're just downloading on him all the things that they know that Moses is going to need if he's going to follow God as a child of Pharaoh, right? Beautiful story as it unfolds, right? So, 
The faith of his parents is downloaded upon Moses. It's a contagion that he receives. He, Moses, catches it, and he keeps walking in it, and it grows and it expands in him. And it grows and it expands in him. And Moses just keeps taking more steps of faith. And now, finally, like, people in Egypt are like, whoa, what's going on? Why, why is the son of Pharaoh, like, rebelling against Pharaoh, and he's leaving? Like, people are hearing about it, and they're talking about it. There was nothing... Then there was a seed of faith from his parents, and then this faith thing, the kingdom, begins to grow. Can we talk about contagious influence for just a second? Can we do that? And can we recognize as people that everything we do and everything we say is contagious to other human beings? Can we, can we, recognize, can we agree with that? And can we also recognize that that is, on one hand, very encouraging, and on the other hand, terrifying. Because we are always influencing each other in some really good ways and in some really bad ways. Right? I've been pastoring for a couple decades now, and I have had the privileged position, sometimes not so privileged, to see people in the, the bodies that I've been a part of who have been, I can see it happening as it's happening, who have been bad contagions. And they, they sow seeds of doubt and division and discord and I'm not sure about this. And when they said that, what they really mean and how about this? And I'm not so sure this is really what's going on there. And I can see it like a seed that drops into the ground. And in some people it starts to grow. And at a certain point it gets big enough, it gets messy enough, it just gets nasty. I've seen that again and again and again. And that will not stop until Jesus comes back. Unfortunately, because everything we do is contagious. Everything we say is contagious. But on the other hand, I've also seen how God just oftentimes deposits treasures of human beings into the community who start sowing seeds of beautiful things, things that are right and noble and honorable. And those seeds start to grow into beautiful trees and birds start perching in it. And it's this amazing thing, right? Everything we do is contagious for good or for bad. Let me ask you a question. What kind of contagion are you propagating right now? I need you to think about it. In your marriage, in your family, with your kids, in your workplace, in the church community, in your neighborhood. What kinds of seeds of contagion are you planting with what you do and what you say? Because everything we say and everything we do is contagious to all of us. Let me give you an example of that. Um, we've got some runners here in Garden City. Anybody know that? that we got some really good, some, some, some of you guys have been running for decades let me just give you a couple examples. We got a, a guy at Garden City, his name's Mike. Mike is an ultra marathoner. You know what that means? It means that Mike runs races that are 100 miles long. That's longer than I like to drive. I don't want to drive for an hour and a half. That's beyond my, I, I, I just don't want to do it. Mike runs for 100 miles. He also does um, like Ironman competitions. Which is just crazy to me. And if you look at Mike, you believe it. You're like, this is the most in-shape guy I've ever seen in my life. If you want to know who Mike is, just walk around and look for the most in-shape guy around. That's Mike. So when I'm talking to Mike, like, I'll ask him questions about it. Because I'm really curious. But when Mike is speaking to me about what he's doing, what Mike doesn't know is he is being contagious to me. It's like he's sneezing on me. But in a good way. 
because everything we do is contagious. And I'm just listening. I'm asking questions. He doesn't know what's going on, but there's a contagion there. And let me tell you about Brandon. Brandon is a guy who's in our community group this year. Um, uh, 18 months ago, admittedly, Brandon would say he couldn't run a mile without being miserable. Like he literally couldn't run a mile from start to stop. And then, for whatever reason, he caught something from somewhere that he wanted to become a runner. So he started training for these things called warrior dashes, where you run a considerable distance, but you've got all these obstacles, walls to climb, ropes to climb, things to haul yourself over, I don't know, all sorts of things you got to deal with in these obstacle courses. And now he's to the place where he's in really great shape. And what Brandon doesn't realize when I'm talking to him about his warrior dashes, he's like sneezing on me and it's like a contagion, right? So I got, and then, and then finally I got all my kids around me who are in cross country. They're running miles every day, right? It's like a conspiracy. I'm surrounded by great in shape runners and there's nothing that I can do about it. I can't escape them. So earlier this summer, what happens? Well, I, 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 I start walking in this, literally, because I'm like Brandon. When Brandon started running, couldn't do a mile without being miserable, I just started walking and running and walking and jogging. I injured myself a couple times because I pushed it too far. There's some other lessons there we'll get to later in the year. But then I just methodically and slowly just started doing this because I caught it. It was like a seed deposited in me and it started to grow. And this morning, I had a phenomenal run. Felt great. Long before most of us were up, I'm just out there doing my thing, right? I used to chase basketballs and footballs. That's how I ran. Can't do that anymore without getting injured. But I want to stay in shape, and I've caught running from these guys and these girls. And it is so cool. Everything we do is contagious for everyone else around us. Moses' parents choose to be unlike everybody else. No, Pharaoh. Yes, God, make a very small decision, seemingly not to allow their child to be killed, but to say, no, let's hold on to him. Let's keep him alive. Doesn't seem like there's much there. But this seed of faith then grows in Moses, and then Moses is just outcasted from Egypt because there's no place for him in the empire anymore. But the kingdom of God at this point will not be stopped in Egypt. It keeps growing. Verse 28, by faith, Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood over the doorway, remember? So that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. In this one verse here, verse 28 of Hebrews 11, there is so much of the story in Exodus condensed into one verse. But the point I want us to see here, at this point in the story in Exodus, we are well beyond Moses' parents, and we're well beyond singular Moses. We have moved on to a whole nation of people. All of the Israelites are starting to catch this way of faith that was so small in just a few people. Everybody's starting to catch it now. And it's not deeply rooted, right? They're still a bunch of knuckle-headed people, but it's, but it's beginning to take shape and to take form. The nation is getting wrapped up in this. In verse 29, By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea and on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, to bring them back into slavery... But the Egyptians who attempted to walk through, they were drowned. 
So let's follow the pattern. Regarding the kingdom of God, when Moses' parents had Moses, there was nothing there. Just bleak, nasty dysfunction. The kingdom of God is not present here. They've got a mustard seed size faith that they deposit into the ground by not allowing their child to be taken and killed. They grow him till he's several months old and then they hatch the next best plan they can come up with. Let's put him in a basket and stick him in the Nile. But it was all by faith and it just starts to grow. It takes root in Moses. Moses becomes a man who chooses to defy Pharaoh. Anytime Pharaoh and God are not on the same page, he goes with God and it causes him to be in exile. But God brings him back and he just continues to walk in faith and then finally like as Moses grows the nation of Israel slowly starts to see wow there is something happening here that we have never seen before and then finally the ten plagues come finally the tenth plague where the firstborn of all of Egypt is killed Pharaoh says get out of here they walk out of Egypt they plunder Egypt which is really cool they walk to the Red Sea and then the Red Sea literally divides in front of them there's a wall of water here there's a wall of water there and the Israelites walk through on dry ground are you kidding me is the kingdom not visible right now The answer is yes. Could you see it 40 years earlier? No. Is it unmistakable now to all the Jewish people? Yes, it is unmistakable. Is the kingdom growing unmistakable to everybody in Egypt right now? Absolutely yes, it is. The pattern is happening here in Hebrews as it plays out in the book of Exodus. And now finally we got nothing, then we've got a seed of faith. Now we've got this tree that is expanding and growing. Now let's get to the birds. Are you ready for the birds? That was always the part you're like, "Ah, oh, what's that bird thing mean here?" I don't know, right? We're flapping. I don't know. Where are we going with the birds? Verse 30, let's talk about the birds. The Gentiles, those who are so far from God, you think they're never going to be person in this kingdom. Never. They would never be found in something like this. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, who's Rahab? Well, we'll get there. By faith, Rahab the prostitute, who's Who's never going to hang out in the kingdom? Well, maybe a prostitute. Maybe that's the one that would never perch in the branches of the kingdom. She would be a candidate. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those in Canaan who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab is a Canaanite woman who's living in the land of the enemy, the land that God had promised his people to many centuries before, but the Canaanites are trespassing on God's promised land. Rahab is a woman who has no God background, meaning the one true God. She's got no experience with him. She is a foreigner. She worships false gods. She's of a different culture. She has different customs. She's different everything than Israel. And even in Canaan, she's a prostitute, right? She is as far from someone that you would expect to be perching in the kingdom of God as anyone else that you could imagine in 
the world, right? But what, but here's what we know about Rahab going on behind the scenes, right? Because the kingdom of God in Exodus is growing unmistakable in its size. Even the Canaanites who live a couple hundred miles away have heard from Canaan what God is doing in Egypt among his people. It's unmistakable. Word is spreading. And Rahab begins to think, wow, I don't know if any of these things could happen without there really being a true God who is truly powerful, who really loves his people. I don't know how this stuff could happen. So when the Israelites, as they're coming out of Egypt, right, fast forward some time, they send spies into Canaan just to check things out before they cross the border and come in and start taking it. Rahab, right, circumstantially, randomly, or maybe not, the spies find her. The city of Jericho is seeking to kill the spies that have come in. Rahab hides the Hebrew spies. Why? Because she is starting to catch faith in the one true God. Instead of going with her people and her customs and her history, she says, I think God is doing something here. And she chooses God's side by choosing to hide the Hebrew spies. She hides them. She sends them out. And then when the Israelites come in and take over, Rahab then actually gets to join the Hebrew people and becomes one who is in the lineage of Jesus. That's an inclusion in the kingdom. She's not an outsider in the kingdom. She's right there in the genealogy of the great high king. That's inclusion. That's perching in the branches. That's someone who you would think that person will never come to God. Well, here she is. She's all in. She's right there. Beautiful, beautiful story. How do people who are far from God get swept into him? The ones that you think would never choose to follow him. Well, here's how the pattern goes. There's nothing there. There's no hope. Where's the beef? Where's the kingdom? Everybody is lost. Everybody is missing out on the goodness of God and his kingdom. And then, then the next thing is someone has a very tiny, unnoticeable seed of faith that gets deposited into the ground with real action. They really do something, but it doesn't look like much. Nobody's taking notice of it. The papers aren't writing anything about it. And then from that small seed deposit, the seed sprouts, it begins to grow, and it grows, it expands, it grows, it expands. Other people start getting grafted in. It grows, it expands, it gets bigger. And then finally, those who you never thought would be walking with Jesus actually start doing it. That is a pattern of the kingdom. Band, come on back up. I want to tell us one more story as the band is getting, um, getting set up here. Uh, we've got friends that, uh, right, here, here's a pattern of the kingdom. We've got some friends years ago, a couple decades ago, they um, were passionate about unreached people groups. Anybody know what unreached people groups are? Right, there's all kinds of groups of people in the world who have no Bible in their language. They have no knowledge of who Jesus is. They are utterly unaware that Jesus is and the kingdom of God is. They have no experience with that. And there's like, a, there's like this tiny remnant of people who are passionate about reaching these people. And, um, and so like they've been they're praying about this, like, God, what do you want us to do for these unreached people, right? And then out of nowhere, seemingly small, like um, this guy's mom has a dream. And in her dream, she sees this word being written out in front of her. And she didn't know what the word was. She woke up like the next morning and just started writing the letters that she saw in her dream. And, uh, and it spelled out, uh, 
It's spelled out the word. Um, sorry, it's spelled out the word Kyrgyzstan. And you, some of you are like, what, ah, what does that mean? Well, it's a country. It's a country. And then this mom shared with her kid, like, I had this dream. And like, I, th- this is, I th- feel like this was from the Lord. I never had a dream like this. And in my dream, the word Kyrgyzstan was spelled out. And then, right, this tiny seed of faith gets deposited in this family. And the whole family starts moving in the direction of Kyrgyzstan. What do we do, God? We know we're supposed to do something here, but we're not sure what. So they start doing research. And in Kyrgyzstan, there's this one unreached people group, and they're nomadic sheep herders, meaning they tend to sheep up in the hills in the wilderness, and there's they got this unique language. They have no idea who Jesus is, but they're in Kyrgyzstan. And so this family then starts to take the next step, and they start changing vocations. My friend who was a youth pastor quits being a youth pastor, and he starts to learn the business of fiber and fiber milling, right? And he starts this little fiber mill where they start buying whatever wool from sheep, and they start learning how to process that into yarn. They're learning the business because they have an eye to go to Kyrgyzstan to reach these people. They need an avenue in. Right? They start doing this, and then as they start doing this and talking about it and doing this fiber milling thing and talking about it, other people start to see it and say, well, there's something here. I want to join in. Okay? Fast forward. Now, on the ground in Kyrgyzstan, there are people with mobile sheep herding units that go out and like they literally buy the wool from these nomadic sheep herders and they process it and they sell it and they're in like a business relationship with these sheep herders, giving them way more money than the Chinese ever gave them. And that, that was who their original buyer was, right? They've got this business model that blesses the nomadic sheep herders, puts them in relational proximity with them, and there's this whole team of people that are engaged in this mission to reach these people with the good news they never knew before. Wow! What's the kingdom of God like? Well, there's nothing. And then, in nothing, there's a seed of faith that gets deposited, and it grows, and then it expands, it grows, it expands, it turns into something. And then all of a sudden, in the conclusion of all of this, there's birds perching in the wings of the tree. Maybe even some Kyrgyzstani nomadic sheep herders perching in the tree. Ten years ago, you never would have thought they'd be there because they had no opportunity to be there, but they are now. Why? Because one person in the context of nothing had a small seed of faith and they started walking in it. Jesus says that's what the kingdom of God is like. It was like it in the book of Exodus. It was like it in the first century with Jesus, and it's like it today. Everything we do is contagious. Everything we do is influencing the people around us. Are we influencing according to the kingdom and by faith? Or are we influencing in some other direction? God help us to get this thing right. All right, what we're going to do now, we're going we're gonna to take communion. Come on down. Um, and ultimately, like, uh, what we're going to do right now is we're going to receive the greatest contagion of all time. The reminder that God so loved you that Jesus laid his life down. His body was broken. His blood was spilled so that we could be included in the kingdom of God, into his family, into everything good that he is about. If you're not a follower of Jesus, just invite you to watch and observe. Um, also ask the question, why not join in the kingdom?
It's free entry. The blood and the body of Jesus is the way in. He's offering it. But receive the contagion of the one who loves you and laid his life down for you and is inviting you into this kingdom that is ever-growing and ever-expanding. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to walk in your kingdom. Help us to follow in the way of Jesus and to be grafted into this beautiful tree that is of faith. We want to follow you. We want to receive from you. And we want to see those who are far from you perching in your kingdom with joy and levity. Thanks for including us in your story of which we are a part. Grow us in it as a church. Grow us in it as individuals, we pray in Jesus' name.